0: Next, this month's special series focus on disaster medicine and preparedness. Unforeseen disasters carry unique challenges and learning opportunities. This month, we present conversations that scrutinize our plans and protocols and ask, how prepared are we? How will we react?
1: On April 28, 1988, Aloha Airlines Flight 243 suffered an explosive decompression upon climbing to its cruising altitude. The aircraft lost a 20-foot section of its upper forward fuselage. A senior flight attendant was swept to her death, while First Officer Mimi Tompkins brought the severely crippled airplane to an unprecedented safe landing. What happened physically, mentally, and emotionally to Mimi's well-being that day and the days to follow? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today to discuss the body's reaction to trauma and stress is Captain Mimi Tompkins. After the events of the aircraft incident, Mimi's life changed dramatically. She eventually went on to train as a captain a few weeks later after the accident and about a year and a half later was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Captain Tompkins, welcome to the show. Thank
0: you. It's an honor to be here.
1: I know you've probably told this story hundreds of times, but for me, it's the first time. And for our listeners, I think we would love to hear what the event was like for you.
0: Well, in the first few seconds after the decompression, I was in disbelief. I honestly thought that it might be a dream. I hoped that it was a dream and think that I was definitely in shock. And then after those first few seconds, my lifetime of training as a pilot kicked in, and especially the training that I got as an airline pilot, and I started to think of the things that needed to be done. And once I got into that mode of thought, it was just, okay, what's next, what's next, what's next? And as far as feeling, I didn't feel anything, but I felt that there was so much to do in so little time There was no time to to sit and think about my feelings.
1: Right. It wasn't about you at that moment. You had to get that plane on the ground. So it was 13 minutes, as I've read. Yes. And that 13 minutes probably went by extremely fast.
0: Well, it was interesting. It went by fast, but it was also in slow motion. And I don't know how to explain that but it was an eternity, but it was also fast.
1: What were you trained to do immediately? I mean, what what kicked in? Like, okay, top of the plane blown off, I now have to do X, Y, and Z.
0: Well, I was the first officer, which means I was the co-pilot. However, I was flying. It was my leg to fly. And and the first thought, flying-wise, that came into my head was fly the airplane, fly the airplane. And that's what we're taught from day one when you take your first lesson. If something goes wrong, you just keep flying. And then after that, more specific guidance came in. But I didn't know what had happened. So also going on in my head at the same time was a conversation with myself of what happened. And it seemed like I needed to settle that before I could fully concentrate.
1: Were you even able to look behind you, or did you just stay focused on the job in front of you?
0: It was maybe a couple of minutes later that I was able to look behind me because my oxygen mask had been sucked back and out. The cockpit door was ripped off in the decompression, so I could see just a short distance down the aisle, but there was debris blocking the aisle, and I could see... Blue sky, and I could see the tail of the airplane.
1: You know, when you have a sudden decompression like that, once the decompression occurs, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to get from 24,000 feet to a certain altitude?
0: Well, the very first thing is to get our oxygen mask on so that we can continue to function. The captain was able to put his on immediately. I wasn't because it was sucked out, and I had to follow the hose and, and, and find it. But yes, the next step is to get oxygen to the passengers, to try to control the decompression or the pressurization, which of course was useless in our case, and then start down as fast and as immediately as physically, safely possible to get oxygen
1: how did you get oxygen to them? Because, I, you know, when those things are supposed to drop down from above, there was no above to drop down. I mean, the top was totally ripped off.
0: Well, there was only 18 feet of the fuselage gone. So the majority of the passengers had a ceiling and the mask did drop. However, the oxygen lines were broken in the section that came off so that they had no oxygen, even though they had the mask.
1: If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and today I'm talking with Captain Mimi Tompkins of Aloha Airlines. So what altitude do you need to get to before people can actually get the appropriate oxygen?
0: We need to descend down to 10,000 feet safely for people to breathe.
1: So how long does that take?
0: It took us Oh, I would say probably six minutes or so to get down, probably a little less than that. We were descending at 6,000 feet a minute. I haven't, I haven't actually done the math, but most of the passengers that I spoke to said they lost those five or six minutes. They, they don't remember anything during that
1: time period. When you landed and the shock was over, when did reality kind of set in? When did you start realizing what happened to you and what what happened to others and start actually feeling?
0: I think that was several days later. It wasn't after we landed, because when we landed, it was still very chaotic. There were 89 passengers on board and only one ambulance. It was very chaotic on the ground. I would also say it probably took about eight months for it to really sink into me,
1: what happened. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and today I'm talking with Captain Mimi Tompkins of Aloha Airlines. Mimi, what happened after, let's say, that eight months? What kind of symptoms were popping up? What kind of things were you feeling? How did you know that something was not right?
0: Well, I think I walked around in a daze for quite a, a while. I would talk to people and try to do my normal activities, but I just felt numb. And over a period of about six months, I stopped running, I stopped sleeping well, I stopped eating my normal diet, and I began to get every flu, every cold that came along. I sort of ached all the time and had headaches, which I hadn't really had before the accident. But even then, I attributed that to all the drama that surrounded the accident, all the attention and The traveling and the awards and just the disruption in my life, I thought, well, it must be a normal, normal to be getting sick and normal to be so tired and not be able to
1: sleep. Your routine was all screwed up and you were being stimulated by all the cameras and all the activity and the attention.
0: Right. I didn't know anything about post-traumatic stress disorder, so I didn't attribute it to that.
1: I am amazed that you climbed back into a cockpit and went on to be a captain. I would have ran for the hills.
0: (laughs) Well, I love to fly. And even though I lost that love for a number of years, I have it back but it was something I wanted to do since I was a child, and I just didn't want to give it up.
1: If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on MD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and today I'm talking with Captain Mimi Tompkins of Aloha Airlines. How did you go about getting diagnosed? Did somebody say something to you like, Mimi, you don't seem yourself, or did you kind of seek out medical help?
0: At one point, about two months after the accident, I went to see a family friend, a psychiatrist, because I was still having trouble sleeping. I was still having nightmares, intrusive thoughts. He basically told me that it was normal and it would go away and didn't really encourage me even to continue with counseling unless I just wanted to.
1: So he was a little dismissive, yes, to say the least.
0: And then I did see my internist, you know, with the flus and the colds, and I started to have some stomach problems, and my period stopped, my hair turned gray. It was just a long list of changes physically.
1: Did the internist at least think you were depressed or had an anxiety disorder, or was he just not even thinking outside the box?
0: Not even thinking outside the box, except uh, one physician that I saw just coincidentally had seen many of the passengers on our flight, and after one of my visits, confidentially said, you know, I really shouldn't be saying anything about this, but I've seen a few passengers who are on your flight, and they have the same symptoms you have. I think it's very curious, but that's all he said.
1: Okay, so this is eight months later. You've seen a bunch of doctors. Nobody's able to really give you the diagnosis that was correct. What happened next?
0: United Airlines had an accident where they departed Honolulu for New Zealand and a portion of the side of the airplane came off because of a cargo door problem. And uh, passengers were sucked out and they turned around and came back and landed at Honolulu. And I happened to come into Honolulu from New Zealand just an hour or so after they landed. And I was in immigration and the custom agent said to me, oh, you were the pilot on that Aloha flight. Well, there's an entire 747 out on the runway where the same thing happened. And I, I think I went into shock. I honestly had to sit down and couldn't walk. He couldn't explain to me what happened, but in my mind, I could imagine what happened. And after about half an hour, I walked out to my car and I could see the 747 on the runway. I could see the ambulances. I, could, I couldn't see the damage But I couldn't drive home. I sat in my car for a couple of hours and just cried. And then eventually I went home and watched everything on television unfold with United. And I think that was actually me facing what happened to me. And then also my heart going out to all of those people who I knew would suffer.
1: You finally were able to grieve. Yes. You had to see it happen to somebody else. And then you were able to kind of feel stuff for the first time. So is it after that that you said, okay, i got to find somebody that's going to help me feel better?
0: No, I was at the time talking every day with the captain from my flight, Captain Shorensteimer, and he fortunately had a very understanding, wonderful wife. She didn't mind that we talked to each other every day, and we didn't know that that wasn't normal because the investigation was going on, and we were intensely interested in what happened and what caused the accident. We were focused on that. And I think we had to focus on it in a narrow way to believe that it wasn't going to happen again so that we could continue to work and fly. And his wife, one night when we were talking quite late, picked the phone up and said, you two really need to get some help. (laughs) And then just hung the phone up. (laughs) And it jolted me because I had a great deal of respect for her. So I called her the next day and talked to her and she said to me, look, I just don't think it's normal that you guys are still talking to each other every day and I think it's it makes you feel worse instead of better.
1: I wonder if it's common to develop that type of bond between victims.
0: Yes, I think it is. And the work that I've done with, in the airline industry it is very common for the crew members to bond.
1: Well, Captain Mimi Tompkins, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling us about your life-changing experience. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com, and thank you for listening.
0: You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Disaster Medicine and Preparedness. For a program guide and complete list of shows, please visit us at reachmd.com.